Bibles out tonight, if you will, let's open up to 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10 is where we'll begin this evening. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get finished tonight, making it part three, finishing up with uh, our message on confidence. Once you get there tonight, if you will, if you're willing and able, I ask you to stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, looking at verse 1 with me tonight. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who is present and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Thank you so much. Please be seated if you will tonight. Again, we're getting into our message here uh, on confidence, part three this evening. We got into one point last week, introduction the week before. And uh, one of the things that we want to open up with is going back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 12, that says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So the whole idea here tonight, in the past two weeks, is, is where is your confidence tonight? Where is your confidence, as we spoke about the first week, is it found in your boldness, your brazenness, your brash speech, or, or something along that line? Where is your confidence in this life found? And maybe you're sitting here tonight, and I haven't really addressed this thought or this idea, but you're sitting here tonight, and maybe you're thinking, why do I even need to be confident? Why do I need confidence in this life? Why can't I just float through life and enjoy it and not worry about confidence, just let whatever fall, whatever happened here and there and, and everywhere? Why, why do I need confidence? There has to be a confidence inside of you if you're saved and you're born again tonight. A confidence that gives you the assurance to share the gospel that was given unto you. Beloved, I'm saying this. If you're not sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're unwilling to share that gospel with others in this life, what purpose are you serving in this world today? What purpose are you serving if you're not taking the, if you're not willing at least to take the greatest gift given to mankind and with confidence and assurance share that with someone else? You know, I, I look back again. We all can look back at our, at our conversion at the moment, at the time when we accepted Christ as our Savior. And I hope you look back with glee. I hope you look back and say, my soul, I am so thankful that friend, that family member, that coworker, that passerby on the street shared this precious gift with me. And if we are so thankful for that being done for us, why can't we do it for someone else? And that's why it's important for us to understand where our confidence should rest. So the first thing that we looked at last week, we looked at a a present reality. We came out of verse 3 with that in our text. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And that is our a present reality. We live in this world. We live in this flesh. We live in the world that is broken, that's fallen, that is sinful. We understand that. It's dark. But this is the only world we have and this is the only time we're living in. We're not living in 1902. We're not living in 1953. We're not living back the way it used to be. All right, We're living the way it is right here, right now. Okay, and that's what we that's the present reality that we have to accept. And furthermore, guys, we got to quit trying to live like it's 1953. 
We ought to quit trying to live like it's 1962 or 1934. It's not those days anymore. Those days are gone, amen? If there's anything that we learned out of the series on Joshua, is when the Lord showed up to Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead, okay? His time is done with. That's over with. You're the man now. You're picking up the mantle. You're going to lead Israel across Jordan. You're going to take them into the promised land. It's a new day, and it's the same way of serving God, but it's a new day. And we need to quit trying to live like it used to be or living on the heels of the testimonies of men of God gone by. Why don't you create your own experiences? Why don't you create your own testimony? Why don't you create your own work and be willing to get out there with a little bit of sweat equity in the body of Christ and you create the testimonies that people will talk about 10 to 20 years from now, amen. That's the present reality that we have. And that's when I speak about confidence. When Paul talks about confidence, it's a reality that we have to understand that our confidence is going to take more than education. It'll take more than energy. It'll take more than excitement. The world has all those things, okay? But yet they don't have the confidence and the assurance of Jesus Christ. So secondly, what we need to look at is we need to look at a power residing. A power residing. We all like power. We like that position. We like that power. We like, we, we like to know that, hey, if I'm going to be confident about something, I've got assurance about something, there has to be a power that is residing where? Inside of me. Look in verse 4 with me. The Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word carnal means fleshly. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Guys, there is a power that is residing in every born-again soul in the world today. And that power is the Holy Spirit of God. John said this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, you are of God little children and have overcome them. Okay? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What does that word have mean? Takes us back to point number one. That is present tense. Not gonna overcome them. Not could overcome them. Not one day will overcome. Have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is residing right here. That Holy Spirit of God, that third entity of the Holy Trinity is inside of me today. This body is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the temple of God. It was bought with a price. It replaced the tabernacle of the holies of holies. And he resides in me tonight, just like he resides in you tonight if you're saved and you're born again. That clear. That's where your confidence comes from. Our weapons are mighty, guys, but our weapons are not in ourselves. Rather, our weapons are through God, and it's through the pulling down of those strongholds that are hindering us in our life. A stronghold is a castle. A stronghold is a fortress. It is it, it's something to fortify. And, and guys, these are opinions and positions or, or even sin within the mind which are, are holding us captive not allowing us to grow and have the victory in the Christian walk. Again, I kind of touched on it a minute ago. We're not in 1960 anymore, okay? We're not, you know, these opinions and these positions about wire-rimmed glasses and, and facial hair, all of those things are based not one lick on the Word of God. But because one group did them, the other group says, I'm not going to do that. And they formed this religion, almost a religion of hierarchy and, and high-mindedness from that right there. And they became captive by their own positions. I think it's just plain stupid, man. But, you know, people amen it when you preach about it. People love it when you preach on somebody else's sins, don't they? 
You get amens that way. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. Well, let me get on yours a little while. For that matter, why don't let me open up the door and get on my own? Amen. That's where we should be. But many a times we're held in bondage of our own minds more than anything. Guys, you know, I, I, I'm my worst critic, and I, I know most preachers are. But if you're not careful in that, you're going to become in bondage to your own criticism. And, I, you know, the, the alternative to that is not, you know, pat yourself on the back all the time and tell yourself how great you are. I understand that. But I'm just trying to tell you, if you're not careful, you'll become, in, you'll, you'll become in, enslaved, if you will, to your own criticism. It's a stronghold. We need to recognize the power that is residing inside of us. The power that is in here from, from being saved and born again. In the midst of our present reality, we have a power to pull down the strongholds that come into our life. A stronghold in the sense that Paul's speaking of here is anything outside of God that we're relying on. If you rely on your talent when you get behind the pulpit, you, that's a stronghold. If you, when you go out there and you witness to someone and you're relying on your little three-point plan that you have that you memorized in the mirror, that can become a stronghold, okay? I'm saying can because every one of us who have been soul winners in our lifetime, every one of us have come up with that three-point. We've come up with something that we can memorize that we can at least go back to our mind and borrow because we're nervous. It means we didn't have the confidence, do you understand? That's what I'm trying to come back to you and say there's a confidence in what's inside of you, that power residing inside of you. And again, you know, where is our confidence found? Is it in your ability to argue with someone? Is it in your ability to top someone? Uh, is it found in the education that you've received? Is it found in the location you live or where you hail from? Where's your confidence? I, I, I come back to, to Paul you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, concerning the law, blameless. There's not one thing in our life we can say blameless about. And yet Paul was able to say, remember, remember the council meeting in, in uh, Acts chapter 15? Remember when Peter stood up and said, hang on a second now, <laughs> I've made a big mistake, but the Lord visited me many years back, and, and he got me right with this. I just happened to forget it when I was down there with our good brother Paul, and, and uh, you know, he rebuked me to the face, and he really put me back in my place. But I've come to my, my senses now, and uh, you know what? Those Gentiles got saved. Just We're trying to put them under a yoke that us and our fathers and our fathers' fathers couldn't even handle. Peter admitted we couldn't hold the law. 613 different laws. We couldn't, we, we couldn't do it. And yet when it came to Paul the Pharisee, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God concerning the law, he was blameless. You think anybody in the world had a right to hold his position of where he was from or his education or his ability to have confidence in that? Man, it was this old boy. And he says, no, sir. My confidence isn't in that. It's not in those things. All of these things, anything other than faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his world, his word, must be pulled down. Solomon said, a wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. The application here is when 
Those who have put their trust in external things, the battle is lost along with their confidence. I've heard it many times in business. I've heard it many times when new people coming in, interns and this and that, you know, you know, don't be too harsh on them, but they may lose their confidence. And I said, I said something one time to somebody, I said, do they have confidence yet? They've been here long enough to have confidence. You don't want to be tough on them now. You don't want to hold them to the grindstone because you don't want to push away. They don't have any confidence. They don't know enough to be confident yet. Now's the time to work them. And he's like, oh, wow, you're right about that. Yeah, I'm right about that because that's what happened to me. I didn't have enough sense to have confidence. I have enough knowledge to have confidence. But when it was hammered into me and it was worked into me and it was and through the grindstone, it was pushed into me, then I got confidence in my trade, confidence in my abilities at those times. And when we talk about the Christian world, we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, and that's where our confidence must reside, which is already there. Our confidence is not in the external things. Battle is lost along with the confidence. So we as believers must recognize that there's a power residing within us to be used and to be submitted to. Thirdly, guys, there is a personal responsibility that we have. This year we've kind of hammered this topic of responsibility quite heavily, and I believe it should be hammered even more. We have a personal responsibility. Verse 5 tells us here, it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Beloved, the battle in this world, every battle begins right here in the mind. Right here in the mind. This is where it begins. The Bible speaks about imaginations, casting on imaginations. Uh, uh, the word imagination is defined as, as a reckoning, a computation. It literally means the creation of images in your mind. You can imagine things that aren't real. You can imagine things. A lot of times guilty people will imagine things that other people are saying and doing against them because they're guilty of doing the same. But they create these images in their mind and they start to lash out and tear. The, and these people haven't done anything at all. You understand? You become a slave to those images, a slave. You become captive to that imagination. So when we accept the present reality that we are in and understand the power residing within us, we then need to exercise our personal responsibility to cast down every created image in our mind and every high thing which exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Things like our pride, our pride. But when we think ourselves to be more than what we are, we're exalting ourselves up against the knowledge of our God. Solomon said, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So our pride, my friend, think about it like this. I mean, these little worldly cliches that, that people have bought into today, and I've jotted a few of them down, some of the most popular ones that these self-help gurus throw out there. You know, things like just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Uh, you know, the, there's another one that says that you create your own reality. And the short answer is this. No, you don't. You don't create your own reality. Life happens to us. Accidents and earthquakes and recessions and environmental consequences and all, all of those things happen. You don't create those things. They happen. And you have to adjust or adapt or you have to die. You are where you are because that's exactly where you want to be. Many have fallen prey to this little cliche here thinking there's a level of truth in this uh, because they could justify one particular circumstance or another. 
Think about it like this. Imagine being on a road trip today and, and yet you, you've been given the wrong directions. Somebody gave you the wrong directions. Even though you pass the signs which tell you to turn around and you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, but you bought into the idea, well, hey, man, I'm right where I want to I belong. I'm right where I need to be because this is where I want to be. Guys, it's a bad strategy altogether. It's a bad idea. You aren't where you are because of what you want to be. You're there because of faulty advice or improper directions, and you need to make better choices. Turn around. How about this one? You must follow your bliss and passion, or just follow your bliss. Bliss is defined as perfect happiness. And here's the problem. If your passion is sinful and it makes you happy, it's wrong. If it was sin a hundred years ago, it's sin today. If it was a sin a thousand years ago, it's still sin today, amen? Whether it makes you happy or not. Or you're perfect just the way you are. That's another one that we see. And I think this is painful, guys. Look, if, if every result in your life, if everything, your health, your, your happiness, your peace, your mind, your mental well-being, your financial well-being, your social, spiritual well-being, if all of those things are a perfect 10 out of a scale 1 to 10, then you are absolutely perfect and nothing needs to change. But let me ask you this. Is that reality tonight? No. Psalm 39.5 tells us very clearly. Uh, it says, uh, Verily every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah, he says. Think about these things. Humanism has been in opposition with Christianity from the beginning. And it's humanism that teaches us to strive for preeminence. For preeminence. John wrote this in John, uh, 3 John 9. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Again, beloved, the, the mind is a battlefield. And, and, and the war is for, our, is for our thoughts, which result in actions. And some people have, uh, have thoughts which produce immediate actions, oftentimes the wrong ones. And when we are driven in society to have preeminence, and I, and I think in all fairness, Probably in today's world, it's probably a greater drive than it ever has been. With the drive for, uh, of influencers and the drive to have, you know, I got, have this many followers and this many likes and this and this and this and this. And all of these different things. Our society is driving our young people to have the preeminence. Our pride takes over and it gives way and the battle is lost, my friend. The battle is lost. Paul says, and he... And, and, he is, uh, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Who, who, who is getting the preeminence in your life? When, when something great happens, guys, I mean, what is the first thing? Oh, well, thank you very much. Or, you know, hey, yeah, I did, did a pretty good job. Or, man, praise God for that. Praise the Lord for it. And I know you can say those words and still not mean them. I've seen that plenty of times. But maybe get yourself in a habit. Every time something comes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. To try to avoid that preeminence. I mean, these are the things, guys, that come into our life that, that we find that, that they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and they need to be cast down. Our pride, our preeminence. And guys, here's a big one, position. Position. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Here it is one of the sneakiest, 
most subtle areas mankind struggles with. And I'll tell you what. I mean, I've been, I've been in this. We were, we were uh, well, I was talking to Carol was earlier. And uh, me, Denise and Carol. And, you know, I've been in this thing for a long time now. And this battle about position, I see it, well, I've seen it more in the church I did, ever did the business world. The business world can be cutthroat, boy. Cutthroat. But I've seen people hung out to dry just because of a position within the church. Men fight amongst themselves who will receive a higher position. And not only entitled, but position himself to receive the glory, the praise, the honor amongst others. There's certain men who, that's all, they, they just want that position. Hey, listen, it's just as bad amongst the women. I'm not, I know I tend to pick on the men all the time. But you've got a load of women out there, they want that position. You know, my this, my that. They want that position. And it's exalting themselves. It's exalting inside their mind. It's exalting itself before the knowledge of God. And we're commanded to cast it down. It's becoming a stronghold. Every one of us are susceptible to it. Not one of us in here tonight are insusceptible to this very thing. And I say it's deceitful. It, it creeps in under the cloak, a cloak of success. Sometimes it, it, it comes in under the, under the guise of activity and promotion. Even doing good things. But position can become a stronghold because it is also self against God. May I say this to you tonight, and we'll hit this final point and be done. It is our personal responsibility as a Christian to keep ourselves in check. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, you know, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. This is a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that guy's fruit stank, but, you know, um, it was rotten from the vine, but I said, what do you mean? And I was a young guy. I was a young preacher, preaching for a few years. He goes, we're commanded to be fruit inspectors. The Bible says by their fruit you may know them. And I'm going, that, that, doesn't, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't line up, you know, with the verse. I know the verse. But I just don't see that we're, <laughs> that that's, falls under my responsibility to inspect Preston's fruit or Daisy's fruit. God's going to inspect your fruit. Matter of fact, he's going to be more than expected. He's going to cast it in front of everybody. But, but I got thinking about that. I got thinking, why would he say this? Why, what was the deal? And what it was was his own pride and preeminence and his positioning to look at other people's fruit to try to make his look better rather than just improving his own. And beloved, it is a personal responsibility to keep ourselves in check. Our own personal MOT, if you will. So our confidence does not rest in our pride. Our confidence cannot rest in the preeminence. And our confidence should never, ever rest in the position. If your confidence rests in your position tonight, that's where your identity sits. And the minute that position is lost, you lose your identity along with your confidence. So the question now be more how. How is confidence 
How is our confidence to rest in Christ? How is our confidence to rest in his word? How is our confidence to rest in what he has given us, the promises he has given us? Because the promise has been revealed. Look in verse 6 with me. He says here, he says, And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, watch this next word, when your obedience is fulfilled. The key word in that verse right there is, is not vengeance, is not uh, readiness to revenge all disobedience. The key word is when. Beloved, there is a personal responsibility that we have as believers to use the weapons of our, of our spiritual warfare through God who, is, who has a readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Beloved, we must not, we must not look to the Lord uh, as if the Lord is going to enact vengeance upon those who disobey the Lord, who stand against his word and falsely accuse the church or, or just are disobedient to God. We shouldn't look at them and go, I can't wait till he's squatting. No, no, no. You need to worry about your own obedience. Amen. We need to worry about our own commitment, our own dedication, our own faithfulness, our own giving. Amen. But the Lord has given us a promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And therefore, as Paul is addressing this confrontation, he, he's, he's comforting the church. Yes, that these wolves are not going to come in and, and take over the church. They're not going to take it over. Uh, they're not going to get in there. But they're falsely accusing me. He's standing against them. He's confronting them. But he's also saying we have a personal responsibility. God will take care of them. Let's take care of ourselves. He's going to protect us. He's going to provide for us. He never said it was going to be easy. Matter of fact, he never said it was going to be fun. Amen? And nor is it supposed to. He just said it would be worth it. He said it would be worth it. So this is the confidence, my friend. This is where Paul's confidence rests, the promise of God through his word. Guys, we can't get beyond that tonight. That's where it all rests. That's where it all lies. You know, and sometimes it feels as if things are are falling apart. And I'll tell you right now, you look in the world today, there's always a current event, number one. Always has been. Stay the course. Keep doing. Keep serving. Keep doing right. Be committed. Be more committed and more faithful than you ever have been when current events happen. The bottom line is, guys, we have a personal responsibility tonight to make sure we rest in His Word and we put our faith and trust in Him for he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you for the message tonight. We thank you for the time together. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless the rest of our service, Lord. Bless the time that we've been given in the lot. And bless the prayer meeting to follow, Lord, I ask. And I just pray that you'd give us direction, guidance, and mercy in our life, Lord, as we, I hope, take on board what is heard this evening of how that confidence, dear God, how that confidence can rest in you in the assurance that you have given us of the promise revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.